Welcome to Touch Podcast. This is Nate. And this is Ryan. This is a podcast for adults. And we've been speaking to adults on the topic of love and sex and faith. People who've changed their minds on things. And today we're speaking with Dr. Megan DeFrenza and on the topic that I am personally connected to, and that is intersexuality. I am not an intersex person, but this is a subject that has really been in the forefront of my curiosity um, about seven years ago, and I actually developed a TV show around it because it was so intriguing to me. She is a Christian theologian, author, speaker, and facilitator of challenging conversations, especially around Christianity, sex, gender, and sexuality. She is producing a documentary, Stories of Intersex and Faith, and serves as a research associate at the Center for Mind and Culture in Boston. She is best known for her book, Sex Differences in Christian Theology, Male, Female, and Intersex in the Image of God. And as you'll hear, Megan grew up conservative, evangelical, and then leading into her doctoral research, began considering a biological reality that didn't match up with a traditional view that God had created only male and female. This is an important conversation because people of faith need to know about how to think theologically about those things that don't seem to add up. You know, the conundrums that break our brain. And Megan will give us some of these tools. We're going to talk about what intersex is and the places where it is mentioned in the Bible that we probably glossed over when we saw it. And then we'll spend a couple of shows on this topic and return with a guest who identifies as intersex, who will talk about her struggles and successes in life. All right, so get your Bibles ready. Here we go. So, yeah, Megan, so tell us about yourself, uh, how you got to this topic. Uh, yeah, what's going on? Sure. Thanks for having me. I grew up in very conservative um, evangelicalism in the Midwest, in Ohio, uh, to parents who were missionaries, um, went to Toccoa Falls College in the hills of Georgia, Gordon-Conwell Seminary, um, and then on for further studies later on. But my interest in sex difference or gender um, really grew out of growing up as a girl in conservative evangelicalism, where I felt like I got really mixed messages on how I could serve God in the body that I was born into. So when I was in high school, everyone loved the fact that I was a leader in my youth group and the president of Fellowship of Christian Athletes in my public high school. Um, But when I got to college, all of a sudden, the idea of women leading uh, became a problem for some. So one of my professors, my Greek professor, as I started thinking about my future and my interest in theology and teaching, he said, no, 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 you can't teach theology at the college level. You'd be violating 1 Timothy 2, which forbids women from teaching the Bible authoritatively to men. I thought, oh man, I gotta think about this some more. Meanwhile, my advisor who was teaching theology and preaching classes, said, Megan, I want you to go on, get your PhD, and come back and be the first full-time female faculty person in our Bible and theology department. So needless to say, my 20-year-old, 21-year-old self said, I got to study because here I am getting two very different answers from these professors whom I both respected. 
Um, so my interest in this, I didn't have feminist theology classes or feminist anything classes in undergrad or even in my seminary education. So all of this I had to study on my own. And then I got into the history of biblical interpretation on matters of sex and gender and was reading conservatives on the right and liberals on the left and really wasn't satisfied with anything I was reading. I felt like neither the right nor the left were representing me as a pious, passionate, evangelical woman who wanted to serve God. Um, so that's where all this began. Yeah, it's this is a new beat for me to, to hear, um, especially going into the subject of intersex and sexuality. So, wow, caught me off guard. Yeah, I the first time that I remember, I don't know if it was like a Phil Donahue show or Oprah or 60 Minutes or something. But I remember being some like a, a kid and hearing about it, but never um, hearing it mentioned. So I had a bug in my ear from that. But I never heard the, the concept of intersex ever talked about, like in going to church from all through youth group and doing all the youth group sex talk stuff. And um, uh, in fact, I don't remember it even being covered in high school biology. I didn't hear it. In, I'm a bio, I have a biology and a graduate degree. I think it was in college the next time the topic came up. I'm in a, in a university advanced biology class. And I remember it breaking everybody's brains in the class, you know, small town, kind of conservative university climate and lots of church folk. Everybody goes to church. Uh, and yeah, I remember, I, I remember people being like, what? And in Megan, your book, actually you have, I think you well did well. You've got a whole biology section to catch everybody yeah. up on genetics. And um, there are drawings in the book. And, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, you, you had to back up a bit and do some health education and some vocabulary before you could even talk theology. I did. Yeah. And part of the reason I got into this study was because I felt like theologians, as they were talking about the differences between men and women, were not working with real people on the ground. I think that's why I felt like they weren't talking about me. And so I wanted to find out how different are men and women, period. Not the stereotypes, not the ideals that change from culture to culture, but is there anything we can always say about every man or things we can always say about every woman? And as I studied the scientific literature, that's when I discovered that things were a lot more complicated than what I had learned in eighth grade health class um, and 10th grade biology um, I was not a biology undergrad. That would have been very helpful. So I had to do a lot of extracurricular study um, in these other fields just to be able to wrap my head around, okay, how is it that some bodies are clearly male and clearly female and some have a mix, whether they look um, maybe like male on the inside, but female on the outside or vice versa, or is it a mix all the way around? And there are many different oh, wow. ways that intersex manifest. We'd like to call them intersex variations or differences of sex development, but it's not one kind of thing. Um, it shows up differently in many different ways and in many different cultures, different kinds of intersex variations are more prevalent. 
so we have to be careful not to generalize even as we're coming to this um, new area of thought for a lot of people that there's still a lot of diversity um, among intersex bodies and intersex people. Well, I'm, I'm just riveted how you entered into this subject. I mean, just, just exploring, understanding, to get a theological understanding of the roles in men and women, you know, and, and looking at those clear frameworks by exploring it into biology and then discovering that there is a, an actual gender spectrum versus a black and white towards male and female that, wow. I mean, typically that's the time I think when someone would pivot and turn away or just like, I'm going to sweep, sweep that underneath the rug. We'll let that figure itself out. I mean, it's, it's, this is, I'm just, I, I still know, I, I need to keep listening. I got to shut up and keep listening. I'm just marveling at how you're getting into this. Well, I started studying intersex as a subject, right? As a biological variation, because I had questions of my own about gender roles in the church and the world. But as I read more and more stories and as I met intersex people, I underwent a kind of conversion myself from wanting to know about intersex so that I could answer my questions to listening and hearing that intersex people had questions of their own and concerns of their own and that my church tradition, evangelicalism in America, white evangelicalism was not helping and in fact making things even harder, particularly for intersex Christians to be out in their own communities for being born different. And I learned that our assumptions about how everyone should fit into these male and female boxes causes lots of um, parents to work with doctors to change, um, to have surgeries on their infant's genitals to make them look more typical so that people don't ask questions when the babysitter changes the diaper or they take them into the nursery at church or they're in the locker room and, and that these surgeries have caused significant trauma for decades. And yet they stem from this ideal that all men should look like this and all women should look like that and that there shouldn't be anything in between or ambiguous. Um, and that's caused a lot of pain. Um, so I underwent, like I said, a bit of a conversion to caring about intersex for myself and my own questions to wow. caring about intersex people in their own right. Um, and that changed me and the direction of my research and also gave me the motivation when I was scared <laughs> as, as to how this was going to go over as I was trying to get a job in evangelical academia, um, that whether or not I got a job or kept a job, that it was important to make space to help the voices of intersex people, particularly intersex Christians, to be heard in our communities rather than silenced as they have been for so long. Yeah, I, I imagine people at home are, are people listening to this are wondering like how prevalent is intersex because it seems like everybody I know is either one or the other. And you mentioned locker room. I mean, as if that is not frightening enough and, <laughs> you, and just nobody even knows what normal is when you're a kid and then you get, you become a teen and it's just a big ball of, gross mess insecurity um what what are we kind of talking about here in terms of prevalence i guess that's where I'm... 
Again, there is, it depends on what kinds of intersex variation we're talking about. Um, so as a whole, any variation from the medical ideal, the medical standards, um, including differences in chromosomes. So instead of XX or XY, you have XXY or XXYY, or maybe some of your cells have a Y and some of them don't. Um, so there's a lot, or this can happen at the gonadal level, the hormone level, it can happen where internal reproductive structures don't match external ones, as I mentioned. So it really depends on what we're talking about. But if we lump all of these together, um, we have somewhere but, uh, close to, at the high end, uh, 1 to 1.7% of the human global population. Yeah. Which is a lot higher than what people Ooh. imagine. That's yeah, comparable that's really... to how many redheads there are in the world. And redheads are a really great comparison because we know there are more redheads in Scotland than there are in South Africa. Similarly, certain kinds of intersex variations show up among different ethnic populations at a greater rate than in others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if I, if I could, I wanna, when I first learned that from, um, from the subject I was doing a, um, I was, I was exploring a reality series on Hida Valoria. She is a intersex advocate and um, she was living in California at the time. And so she became my entry point into this world. Um, and she told me the exact same thing. Uh, there's many intersex people in this world as there are redheads. And if you kind of look around, that gives you a good gauge of how, how many are out there. And, and what you're talking about before about infant augmentation is a really big issue. And I want to, I want to paint a clear picture um, of that for a lot of the listeners out here. Imagine that um, you're having a baby, uh, the baby's born, and then it's just not clear whether the baby has a penis or a vagina, okay? It's just not, there's something is just not fully developed. And right then and there, uh, the doctor makes a decision with you of like, okay, well maybe, well sometimes the, the patients are even, aren't even involved, but um, a decision is made on what type of gender they think this may be, and they augment, they do the irreversible operation right then and there when they're an infant. And parents and doctors thought at the time that they were sparing their children pain, pain of rejection, pain of feeling different, like they weren't like anybody else, pain of harassment. But what we've learned as intersex people have shared their stories is that um, the community is saying, look, we would rather <laughs> have had those other challenges than you deciding for us what our bodies should look like and you know, taking out tissue that can never be put back. And scar tissue doesn't grow and stretch as well as tissue that hasn't been cut into. And so it just caused so many problems. And now the challenge is, okay, how do we get more doctor and there are some physicians listening and changing practices so there is some hope but it's been very slow um to to get away from this idea which i think americans have a lot is don't worry we can fix it with enough money with enough technology we can fix it um and what we're discovering is you know some people need to be left alone uh to sometimes to grow up if, if there's not a medical emergency right uh, then we don't need to do plastic surgeries simply so someone's genitals look fairly typical according to whatever we think that should be. Right.
Right. And one, one last thing I want to, I want to add to, to this thought is, um, I've read that in Australia, they were the first country to incorporate intersex as one of the, one of the gender assignments you can get on your driver's license, so to speak. M as in male, F as in female, X as in intersex, which is an amazing accomplishment. But if you think about the, the gender assignment of that alone, knowing that there is a third option and that option is kind of on a spectrum, a variant, immediately that opens up your mind to, to all these things that we're, we're overlooking in the United States right now. Mm-hmm. Granted, yeah, I, it's important to, again, hear the voices from the intersex community. The Intersex Society of North America has not argued in favor of assigning a third sex on birth certificates because their goal is to keep children safe and it's you don't make kids safe by identifying them as different but they are in favor of people being able to self-identify once they're of age to do that so it's tricky germany has talked about adding a third sex on birth certificates and it's only increased the number of surgeries rather than decreased them let's take a quick break This episode is brought to you by Next Good Consulting. Next Good coaches individuals and organizations to create new futures in a creative consulting process that starts with one powerful question. If your life were a comedy, what would happen next? It's true. He really asked me this question, and that's that's what unlocked me. This unique story framing helps generate new ideas, design imaginative alternatives, and craft a new storyline. Whether it's your life or a business idea that's stuck, you can learn to stop rehearsing that scripted drama in your head and start having fun in your own happy story. I should know because I did I did those exact same steps and it it really has changed the course of my life. Start a new page today with Nextgood at www.rnextgood.com. Tell them you heard about them on Touch Podcast and get one free coaching session on me, on Nate because I took it and it was amazing and I want you all to experience it, at least just have a chance. Next good, gain a new sense of purpose by starting something good. Folks, the themes in this podcast include topics not suitable for children or adults who act like children. Yeah, this is, (laughs) I'm, I'm guessing that most people who are listening to this have not had been part of this, this kind of conversation and, um, I, I want to put myself in the mind of maybe a college student or maybe even another uh, a, a colleague, Megan, um, who an evangelical professor kind of academy that um, where, you know, you have the Sunday school sort of answer is that God created male and female period. And then sort of there's a whole host of social and theological um, assumptions that follow that mm-hmm. and so you start doing this research and you kind of pipe up with oh actually there's like a lot like the God creates a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that sort of tell us about what happens when you start saying out loud the things that your research is uncovering yeah People get really nervous. Um, They feel threatened 
You're like, wait a minute, Genesis said God created male and female, and that was good. So that's what there is in the world. So some Christians will feel like you're saying the Bible isn't true, or if the Bible isn't true on this, then what else is it not true? They feel like this whole idea threatens their whole way of seeing the world. And in some ways it does, but not, it, it seems like an overreaction to me, but I had to dig into the Bible to think about this and to figure out if there were other ways of thinking about intersex people, you know, beyond just the question of Genesis and God's creation story, this creation stories we find in Genesis one and two. Um, and I discovered to my surprise and delight that Jesus actually talks about people who are born in between male and female in Matthew chapter 19, when he talks about naturally born eunuchs in Matthew 19, 12. And this is an ancient term, eunuch, um, but a naturally born eunuch would have been someone who was born the day that they were born. <laughs> they knew that this one was different, not like the others. And the rabbis eventually came up with four additional categories between male and female that they had, you know, at their resource. And here Jesus is using one of them. And, you know, the rabbinic literature comes later. But here already there's more than two categories and none other than Jesus mentions it. And so then when you start studying eunuchs in the ancient world, you realize, oh, wait a minute, ancient Christians knew about this stuff because they didn't have the medical technology to think that they could fix it. So St. Augustine talks about hermaphrodites in the city of God. Um, they, they had legal categories. <laughs> Who can you marry? Can you inherit? Um, all sorts of questions that they had to solve because this was a part of their vocabulary and their world. And that's something that we've lost today. So what's helpful in particularly talking in Christian colleges and universities where I do a lot of speaking and in seminaries is helping us reconnect with the resources we already have with scripture and with church tradition and realize, wait a minute, this isn't something new that's part of the sexual revolution or the secularization of America, which is how everyone, a lot of conservative Christians feel threatened and they want someone to blame. <laughs> um, but this is actually something that's gone way, way back. Um, but we've lost our ability to, um, recognize people in all of their differences. Now that's not saying that in the ancient world they treated people who were different very well, <laughs> but they at least had, you know, language and um, conceptual space for thinking about people beyond just male and female. What? Well, and well, uh, in addition to the Matthew the Matthew verse, which I think uh, most people would just kind of skip over or not spend a minute thinking about, what, what other sort of passages or stories or scenarios in the Bible do you run into that make, with this new lens that you have, that kind of, you know, goes, oh, well, what's going on here? Yeah, thanks for asking that. My favorite passage is when I discovered, now that I had that language of eunuch, um, and it shows up in Isaiah chapter 56, verses 1 through 8. And in this passage, people are complaining, and one, one translation has them complaining. You can imagine growing up in ancient Israel, it's not easy to be someone who's different, right? There's all sorts of laws about how women are supposed to be and dress and wash, 
and how men are supposed to dress and wash and where they're supposed to sit and, and all the rest. Um, so if you're someone who falls in the middle, that, that couldn't be easy in that culture. And you also have people who are different ethnically, who are concerned about their place in the community. And so God speaks a words of encouragement to these people who are different um, through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, um, do not let the eunuchs complain. I am only a dry tree. For the, to the eunuchs who seek, who seek me, who keep my, hold fast to my covenant, do the things that please me, I will give them within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And to the foreigners, he goes down another list, who keep the Sabbath and hold to the covenant and, and on and on and on, <laughs> These, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. And I had heard that last verse preached and up on walls for all sorts of events, but I'd never heard that whole passage in context. So here is God saying to people who are different, don't worry, even though you feel like an outsider, there's a place for you, I see you. There's a place for you in my house. And, and, I, and more than that, God blesses the eunuchs not by healing them, not by restoring them to some creational ideal of male or female like Adam and Eve, but God says, I will give you a blessing better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name that won't be cut off. Well, if you were a good Jewish boy, you perpetuated your name by having a son who had a son who had a son and so on. And God is saying, I'm going to bless you as you are, and I'm gonna give you a name that is that will never end even though you may not be able to pass on your name like a good jewish boy would um so that passage just exploded my mind it was like wait a minute you know jesus only says a little bit but at least he acknowledges people who are different but here in isaiah it gets us away from this idea that God wants to fix us and make us like these ideals that we project back onto the Garden of Eden. Um, and so what I started thinking as a theologian, and, and theology is really talking about how do we understand scripture all together? How do we understand the big picture and how it relates to the world that we live in in the 21st century? And so I started backing up and taking a different lens to the Bible and realizing that Adam and Eve is just the beginning of the story. And that even Israel is just the beginning of the story that God chose a few through whom God would then go on to bless many. And we have this with the idea of ethnicity, we have this with the idea of gender difference and sex difference with people who don't fit in these creational categories. Um, and when we look all the way to the end of the book, <laughs> the book of Revelation, we see people gathered around, and I'm thinking of Revelation chapter 7, a great crowd, a great multitude gathered around on the throne, worshiping the Lamb from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And if we think about that diverse crowd at the end of the story, it helps us realize that we're not going back to the beginning of the story. We're not going back to the Garden of Eden before there was ethnic diversity, before there was linguistic diversity, before lots of other diversity, where at the end is different than the beginning. And so it helps us read the Bible as a big story that's not paradise lost and regained as if it's circular. 
but a linear story that starts in the garden with these two and then opens up to so many more in the recounting of God's salvation history. We have to press pause right there, but we're going to be back. Megan and Leanne, who you'll hear on the next episode, are available to speak at your church, school, or community group. They are also booking screenings and discussions of their documentary, Stories of Intersex and Faith, for the fall. So if you'd like to book a screening, you can contact them. You can contact them through their website and also know that their comp- their group is a registered 501c3 nonprofit that needs your support too. So if you have tax-deductible gifts you'd like to give to them, um, their website is intersexandfaith.org. So interested in the film, their discussion groups, or to give, that's where you can go. And a special thanks to Scott Willis, Christian singer-songwriter out of Nashville, Tennessee. You can find out more about Scott Willis's music by going to Facebook and looking up Scott Willis Music. You heard his beautiful song, Mercy, playing in the background of today's episode. And in the next episode, we will look at some more scripture, hearing more voices, and find out that size does matter. The rabbis were concerned about this even in Jesus' time. <laughs> yes, but not the way you're thinking. Gotta tune in for the next show. Hey, if you like this podcast, will you review it right now on iTunes? Open it up on iTunes, review the podcast, give us a big fat five, because the way these things work, without great reviews on iTunes, other people can't find it. So help us out. Review us. SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you find podcasts and music. We'd also love it if you'd like us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Follow us, tag us, tweet to us. We'll tweet you back. Call us or email us. If you have a question or a topic you'd like for us to talk about, shoot us an email at info at touchpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.